The following conversation with Erica McAlpine, OSU Cascades professor and organizer of Love Thy Neighbor forums, originally aired on June 12, 2020 on the Radical Songbook on KPOV 88.9 FM, High Desert Community Radio in Bend, Oregon. The Radical Songbook is hosted by Michael Funky. It is a two-hour show highlighting the role that music plays in social justice and protest, and it airs Fridays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time. We're going to take a break from the music and talk with Erica McAlpine, a business professor at Oregon State University Cascades here in Bend. She arrived in Bend in 2018 after teaching and getting some high marks from students at the University of Alabama. McAlpine was named Woman of the Year by The Source Weekly in 2019, and she had just started working with The Source on a series of Love Thy Neighbor forums where people of color shared their experiences here when the pandemic hit and closed down most public events. The Love Thy Neighbor forums will soon return. I wanted to talk with Erica McAlpine about her own experiences in Bend as a resident and a teacher, and about the larger issues of racism and police brutality that have galvanized the nation in the past few weeks. Erica McAlpine, welcome to KPOV. Thank you so much for having me. Really appreciate you uh, joining us today. Uh, And I think uh, if it's okay with you, I'd like to start uh, local. Uh, before mm-hmm. we get into larger issues, um, you've been in Bend for a couple of years now. I believe 2018 was when you moved here. Yes. And so, um, what has life been like for you and your family since you moved to Bend? It's been um, overall, it's been a great experience. Um, it has come with some challenges, however. Um, We've been able to overcome those and embrace Ben and call it home now. And so in the, the Source Weekly referenced um, an incident that you had talked about at the City Club Forum. Are you okay with telling our listeners uh, what that was about? Sure. So um, when I was, when we first moved here, I was in the Old Mill one night. Um, I had dinner with some friends, and I was walking back to my car passing a few of the storefronts, and I noticed a truck that had uh, three Caucasian gentlemen. They were getting into the truck, and one of them noticed me walking, and he said, what are you doing here, you N-word? And in that moment, I thought, um, you know, there are several different ways I could handle this. Of course, I could say something and try to defend myself in some way, but there were three of them and one of me, and I thought about my safety in the moment. I did not see any other people around. I didn't see um, any people in the storefronts, and so I just put my head down and walked uh, to my car as though they weren't talking to me, and uh, they just drove off, but I felt such shame that I did not uh, represent my race or myself proudly in that moment. Uh, That was the first time in my life that I had ever been called that word. And um, it was certainly a traumatic experience, but I'm also thankful I was able to hold my composure and just think about the fact that I have to get home to my children and it wasn't worth it, wasn't worth losing my life potentially because I didn't know how far they were willing to go.
you have some kids that are going to school locally? Yes, I have a um, 22-year-old daughter. She's a senior at OSU Cascades. And then I have a 14-year-old son who's a freshman at Summit High School. How are they doing here in in, um, in Bend? I know that uh, from some conversations I've had with uh, with local high school students um, through the uh, town halls that uh, the Restorative Justice and Equity Group has organized over the past couple of years is that there are definitely issues in the local high school around race and racism. So, uh, what are there? What's your uh, son's experience been? Well, he had an experience uh, when we moved here. He was he was starting the sixth grade, and I uh, started in the seventh grade. I'm sorry, he was starting in the seventh grade, and um, he had an experience where another student used the N word um, in reference to him. Again, the first time he had ever been called that word. So um, it kind of expedited my process of parenting surrounding race and having to have that dialogue with him. Um, since then, he has not had any of those experiences at school. He's mentioned that, you know, kids try to joke with him about stereotypes about black people, and he immediately corrects their behavior, and it just, you know, the situation doesn't get worse. But um, he does deal with some playful banter uh, surrounding race, and he takes it in stride, honestly. I'm amazed at how um, mature he is surrounding this topic, and um, he just doesn't allow what other children say to impact him as a person, and I'm so proud of him for that. So I, I do want to ask you about some positive experiences here, but but twice now you've mentioned, I, I think it's worth noting to our listeners here in Bend that mm-hmm. you moved from Alabama, and yeah. you're saying, you have said that the, the, this is the first time that both you and your son have mm-hmm. been called the N-word. So there's this image, right, of, of the mm-hmm. South and, the, and yeah. Alabama. And and certainly yeah. some of that image is totally warranted. I mean, right, you know, of course. Yeah, yeah, but but it's just kind of interesting to me that that uh, you did not experience that in Alabama and you moved here to Bend and then did very quickly. Right, and I want to. I, I need to note too that I grew up in Alabama. I went to high school there, and you know, spent most of my adult life there, and never experienced that. Um, so the image of the South, uh, certainly, like you said, it is justified because of the civil rights movement and much of that happened throughout um, the South and large portions in Alabama. So, uh, yes, race has certainly been an issue in the South. However, it's much more diverse there. And um, coming out here, Depending, you know, there's not, um, there is some diversity, but not a lot as in most urban areas and and nationally. So I think that, um, you know, yeah, it's it's amazing, really, that, and, and what's funny is in the South, when I told my friends that I was moving to Oregon, they were like, oh, you're moving to that blue state, that progressive place, right? And so the image that people have of Oregon in the South um, is very different um, from what it actually is. I don't think anybody realizes the um, rural communities that do exist in Oregon. Yeah, and all the history, the history of the state, of course, in, in terms exactly. of you know, going going all going all the way, literally going all the way back to the very 
beginning of the state when when uh while it wasn't uh didn't enter the union as a slave state it entered a union as a state that said black people are not allowed i mean literally right you've had some positive experiences as well here in bend right yeah this community is so welcoming and I also find Ben to be a place where people are thirsty for knowledge, no matter what um, they're seeking knowledge about, but especially knowledge around um, social justice and equity issues. There are many organizations uh, for Ben to be uh, it's growing, but uh, in compared to some other comparison to other cities, it's kind of small, you know, and so. Um, for there to be so many different organizations and agencies and people that are doing work related to social justice and advancing um, equity issues, it's amazing. And it's also uh, refreshing to see. So this community has been very welcoming uh, to me and to my family. And, and what's your approach to your job as a business professor in, re- in relation to the issues that we're talking about? Right. Um, When I was at Alabama, I taught mostly leadership and ethics, and that gives an opportunity to speak to many issues that um, are going on in the world and um, relate it back to the course material and how important it is to be a good leader and be ethical. So um, depending on what was going on at the time, I remember right before I left is – the when the 2016 elections were happening and i never encouraged students one way or the other politically but i do make sure they're educated on uh the candidates and who they're voting for and why they were voting for that particular individual i also spent a couple of classes going over every amendment that was on the ballot just to make sure that uh the students understood what the amendments meant how they would impact them and what they were voting for. And many of them expressed so much satisfaction in those classes because many of them had just voted for whoever their parents voted for. But um, during that election, they were able to make an educated decision. So I still do the same thing um, in bringing what's happening in the world into my classroom and discussing um, sometimes controversial topics with them, but I always relate it back to uh, how it ties into the course material surrounding ethics and leadership. I find that my students um, understand better when, you know, the theories that we cover in academia, you know, most of them were written decades ago. And so we have to find new and interesting ways to make the uh, material relatable to our classes. So the past few weeks, um have been obviously very painful. Uh, it's a, a real tragedy. I guess my question to you, for, first off, on a personal level, is how are you doing? Mm-hmm. Um, this was difficult. This has been difficult um, to process watching a man hold his knee on the neck of another human being for eight minutes and 46 seconds until he died. Um, That was traumatic to see. And the fear of that could be me or it could be my son or it could be my daughter really hit home. And the fact that 
the brutality of it is what um, was so emotional. I thought about what made this murder, George Floyd's murder, impact people so differently around the world. And I think it's because um, many of the other deaths that have occurred at the hands of the police with, with black people have been they've shot them and we're a little desensitized to gun violence because we hear about shootings all the time. But to see someone die the way that George Floyd was murdered impacted people very differently. And I'm no different. It impacted me um, very differently as well. In this country, we've been here before so many times and um, there's a feeling among a lot of people that this is, you know, I mean, what we obviously the response has been bigger than anything that we've seen in in my life since the '60s, late mm-hmm. '60s. Um, do you do you have a sense that it's different? That it's possibly really a genuine tipping point, shall we say, a time a, a point where maybe we can really get some serious, genuine social change. I think that depends on how far people go with their action, meaning many people are upset right now and many people are protesting, but where will we go from here? Um, It's important to keep this same momentum around these issues even after the protests have stopped. I can't guarantee there will be significant change Um, in terms of policy and legislation and police reform um, without knowing that people will actually use their powerful vote to impact those changes. Um, I don't know that people will be as interested um, six months from now as they are today. So, To answer your question, I don't know. I hope that there will be significant change as um, as it relate, you know, as a result of George Floyd being murdered and many, many others also losing their lives. But I hope that, um, you know, but I can't guarantee that because I simply don't know. Do you you have any concern that that this could could lead to even more repression? Mm. I would hope not. I think that um, there's a large portion of the population around the world that's tired of seeing people be oppressed um, simply because of the color of their skin. I don't think that things will get worse as a result of uh, the protests or people speaking out against police brutality. I think that people are fed up, and I don't think that we will stand for what's been happening um, in this country anymore. Yeah, I'm I'm hopeful that um, some some good will will come out of this, some lasting lasting change here in Bend. We talked earlier about uh, Bend is seen as this utopia where everything is rainbows and unicorns and people are just out on, you know, (laughs) on the slopes or on the trails and living their best life. But um, that, and while that's true for some, everyone doesn't have the same experience. 
And I think that once people here are able to understand that racism does occur here and people are treated inappropriately right here in Bend, then true change can happen. But you have to validate the experiences that people have and not just shrug them off. Hi, this is Martin Joseph from Wales in the UK. You're listening to the Radical Songbook on 88.9 FM, KPOV, Bend. You're indeed tuned into the Radical Songbook, and I'm your host, Michael Funky. We will now return to my conversation with Erica McAlpine, business professor at OSU Cascades. I ask her to address systemic racism in our society. Well, I certainly think that um, people can see the institutional racism that's present in um, some police departments and the fact that so many people of color, black and brown, can lose their lives at the hands of police officers and it takes longer to get justice. Um, I wonder if people had not taken to the streets as a result of George Floyd's murder, would his murderers have even been arrested? Um, Breonna Taylor was shot eight times in her own home, the EMT that lost her life, and no one has yet to be arrested in that murder. So we often have to fight for justice, um, but the fact that the justice system is such a big and powerful, powerful entity, it shows that white people are treated very differently in the justice system than people of color. Therefore, we have systemic racism. The Ahmaud Arbery uh, case mm-hmm. is really, really a powerful example of how differently people of color and white people are treated. Both when you, yes. when you view when you view what happened and and how the vigilantes how they were um, treated by law enforcement. Yes, um, Ahmad Aubrey was murdered for jogging in a neighborhood by like you said, vigilantes. And again, they were not arrested until there was public outrage. George Zimmerman shot Trayvon Martin. Um, Same instance. Um, It was a while before he was arrested, but he was not convicted of murder. So the justice system doesn't work as well for black and brown people. And that's clear. And I think that people can really see that now, and um, it's undeniable. So some will say the system is broken, mm-hmm. and and some will say, and I, I recently read uh, an article by April Sims, who's a black woman who up in Washington State, she's secretary and treasurer of the Washington State Labor Council, uh, where she mm-hmm. said, this, her, and I'll just quote from her, the system isn't broken. The system is operating exactly the way it was intended to. When you think about how this country was built um, and documents like the Constitution that we still refer back to for for all of our guidance, um, they weren't written with people of color in mind because at the time we were property. So to think that the systems that are set up now that evolved from those documents 
were set up with us in mind as a falsehood. They were not. And so now um, I would say that Ms. Sims is correct, that it's operating the way that it was intended um, because black and brown people weren't considered from the beginning. But now that we are, you know, we are free, we are here, we are a part of this nation and we work and we contribute our taxes and, you know, we do all the things that everyone else does. We also deserve the same rights and privileges. The COVID-19 pandemic, where far more uh, uh, people of color, uh, black people in particular, are, are far at far higher risk of, and are getting the virus than their proportion of their uh, of the U.S. population. I think it's 13 percent of the U.S. population and 24 percent of those who have died, if I have my figures right here. So healthcare is, again, another example, and there are so many other. Could you expand a little bit more on, on some other ideas of uh, beyond policing of what yes, systemic, systemic racism is about? Right. If you think about, um, like you mentioned with healthcare, access to healthcare. Um, with COVID, many of your service workers and people that are considered essential are people of color, and they still have to report to to work. They don't have the luxury of um, being able to work from home, and so they are on the front lines of this disease. And then if they get it, do they have adequate health care? Do their doctors even believe that they have the symptoms? I think we saw a few cases where people were turned away from hospitals, and they ended up dying as a result of that. So access to health care, adequate health care being provided. And I think there was a story about how Serena Williams had to advocate for her health, her health and herself when giving birth to her daughter uh, because she knew something wasn't right. And so she basically had to argue with the doctor um, to receive adequate treatment. And people of color do often have to do that. Education is another system, um, and it's my own field, but in K-12 through education, if uh, black and brown children are often, you know, put in special ed or deemed not adequate or as good as um, their white peers, and uh, that's a problem. In terms of access to higher education, the tests that um, students have to take in order to get into college, the ACT, the SAT, they are biased tests. They aren't developed with people of color in mind, and they aren't developed um, considering the resources that people may not have to prepare for those tests. Um, it takes tutoring. It takes study materials, and those to access to tutoring and study materials is expensive, and families of color may not have those resources to be able to afford to prepare their children to take those tests to get into college. There are barriers to success, and those barriers may not be as prevalent for the majority of the population as they are for the minorities. Yeah, and the issue of mass incarceration, of course, is a, is a profound one. Black and brown people are incarcerated at greater rates than anybody else, and the crimes that they committed to be there, the sentences that they receive, um, are often not equal either. 
As an educator, you, you indicated to me you'd be willing to address the issue of white allyship. What role do you see white allies, white allyship playing in the overall struggle? What are your thoughts on, on allyship, what white people should do? First, acknowledge what is really happening. I think that now people can see, have seen, and are acknowledging, okay, you know, we have a problem in this country and it needs to be addressed. Um, Acknowledging it, talking about it. Talk about it amongst yourselves. Talk about it uh, with your friends. Talk about it with your family. Talk about it with your children. Uh, One thing that I have been so grateful for is that my son has been at home from school um, throughout the George Floyd, um, throughout these protests and the George Floyd murder, so that he doesn't have to also bear the burden of explaining to his peers why people are protesting, why people are upset, why it's wrong for a black man to die in the street at the hands of the police. Uh, He doesn't have to carry that extra weight. Um, and he can just process this in peace. So I think that having those conversations with your children and explaining why this is not okay, treating people of color differently than you might treat your white peers is not okay. So those conversations are very important to have within your own families. Secondly, check on people that you know that are black um, because we are not okay during this process. We haven't been, um, but especially right now, uh, we are raw. We are um, processing these emotions, and if people are like me, we are speaking out about these issues, and that is a weight to carry. So check on people that you know Give them grace in the workplace. Uh, If they're your colleagues and coworkers, understand that they're going through something that's very different. And even though all of this has happened and everybody can see what's going on in the nation and around the world, we still have our lives to live. We still have jobs to do. Uh, I remember the week that the video surfaced of George Floyd being murdered, um, I had to tell my students how it impacted me and apologize um, that that class, that particular class might be different from others simply because of the weight that I was carrying at that moment. So just give grace to people of color that are processing this a bit differently. Also, educate yourselves. Listening to black people and brown people and hearing what they have to say, uh, it's great to read books and learn what you can, but apply what you read and what you learn so that it changes you going forward. You know, don't just read white privilege and say that you read it. Read it. Understand that privilege. Understand how it, how, you know, people have benefited from that and then explain it to your friends. The next time you hear someone say that white privilege is not a real thing, you have that knowledge base, the resource to refer to to say, no, I know that it is and this is why. That's very, very important to do in terms of allyship, educating yourselves, educating each other, and just be mindful of what you ask of black and brown people during times like these.
right before the pandemic hit and and mm-hmm. everything kind of got shut down, you you were part of a series of forums that was being planned with the source, and there was one held. What's the status of uh, those? Right. Well, it, it's called Love Your Neighbor, and the premise of Love Your Neighbor is to show the community that people, that diverse people are here. You know, that's one thing we always hear around town is that there's just no diversity here. Well, there is some, and we are here, and we are living our lives among everyone else. And I just wanted to get people together and talk to our community about what life here is like for us. So the first panel that we had was African-American people. It happened to be in February. One panelist is of Asian descent, um, so she wasn't black but of color um, and very knowledgeable around social justice and these issues. So the point was to get us together. We just answered questions for about two hours from the audience, and we talked about very important issues. Uh, Some we raised to the audience and some audience members raised to us. And it was just a great dialogue uh, between people in the community and the panel. And we were blown away by the amount of people that showed up uh, that were interested in the conversation, as well as by the love that we felt in the room. So Love Your Neighbor will be continuing. We plan to do something very soon in response to the George Floyd murder. So it will likely be the same panel of people that participated in the first panel. And we will just have dialogue around what's happening in the country right now. Going forward, um, Love Your Neighbor, we will will continue to talk uh, about these issues with various People We've talked about, um, when I say we, I'm talking about Nicole, at the editor of The Source and I. We've talked about having a panel of high school kids of color talk about what it's like to be a high school student in Bend, Oregon, and be diverse. We want to talk to parents of kids of color and what their fears are during times like these. Uh, we want to talk to black men um, to, to talk about how they feel living in Bend with everything going on around the nation. So there will be lots of conversations, and um, we hope to get started very, very soon. I always like to ask people if there's anything I've left out, any question that I should have asked, I guess, that you uh, want to address or anything else that you want to want to uh, add that, that you haven't had opportunity to, to address. I think I would just end with uh, Bend is a wonderful community. We are very blessed to live here, and um, sometimes we can get in a bubble and not even have to pay attention to what's going on outside that bubble. But I encourage everyone to pay attention and to do your part to make sure that Bend, Oregon, doesn't become um, a Minneapolis, Minnesota, where events and atrocities like what happened to George Floyd don't happen in our community. We all need to do our work to make sure that we keep being the wonderful community that it is, and we can do that by loving our neighbor, regardless of the color of their skin. Erica McAlpine, thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this KPOV podcast. KPOV is community radio for the high desert of Central Oregon. 
For more information and a program schedule, go to kpov.org. We value your feedback. Drop us a note at podcast at kpov.org.